Well, good morning, everybody. Hope you had a wonderful week. How many of you did make it out to the fair this past week? Okay, you survived. That's great. I did not go to the fair. I only saw Jeff and Jonas run uh, in the 5K, and um, I think they were struggling. They had people out there with water hoses and they were like hosing people down as they went through. Did you go through it, Jeff? I didn't see if you go through the water sprinkler. Okay, all right. <laughs> but it was pretty interesting to see all that. And um, I tell you, we look forward to being involved a little bit more in the community and uh, seeing what we could do as a church to uh, have a presence there, um, maybe at the fair or helping in uh, certain types of things. So you just keep all those things in mind and uh, we'll just see what uh, God would definitely do uh, with us and through us uh, in that. In the coming uh, weeks, I would like to do a series on moving forward um, out of the book of Philippians. And I would encourage you to maybe spend some time this next week to start reading through it. It's only four chapters and just see what, uh, what God could speak to you about and just start getting some ideas of uh, what we'll be talking about. But uh, moving forward in what uh, the Lord would have for us as a church and as what uh, he would see us do here um, in the community as uh, the Lord would see fit. But this morning we're going to be in the book of Colossians chapter number three. And uh, I felt led to uh, this particular um, passage of scripture um, primarily because I believe that we as um, believers in Christ, many times we lose sight of what is important. Uh, we lose sight of our direction, our um, where we should be heading. Why is that? Because we are here on earth and there are so many allurements in life that lead us astray. And I just want you to think right now, what is your life? What does your life consist of? Uh, as a follower of Christ, what does your life consist of? Now, before you say, well, it's Jesus, it's Christ. Yes, we understand that. But many times our lives consist of many other things. Let's just name a few things. Go ahead. What does your life consist of? What is it? Work. Work. Yes, absolutely. Jokes. Jokes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yes. Kids. What else? Relationships, yeah. What else? How about problems, right? Life is a problem, you know? <laughs> I mean, for some reason you think when you start getting older, you're like, all right, finally I got life all figured out. It doesn't work that way. It just seems like there's more problems. You're like, where did all this stuff come from, you know? So our life consists of several different things. But I think God really wants us to understand what our life should be consisting of and what our focus should always consistently be. And uh, we're going to look here at Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. And uh, we'll go ahead and read those verses here. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Let's look what the Bible has to say here. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, 
where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's pray together. God, we are just so grateful for this day. You have brought us here together uh, to direct our hearts and our minds towards you, um, to allow us to bring our focus back into attention of Christ. And I pray that we will do that. God, there's so many things that go on in our lives and so many difficulties and problems that we encounter, but help us to keep Christ the focus of our life. Lord, I pray that through this time that we spend together through your word, that we would understand what is important to you, what your desires are, um, what your vision is for the world, and, and what you desire for our lives to be like. Lord, I ask that you be with those here today that are that is just struggling in life. I pray for those that the difficulties of life have seemed to overtaken them. God, I pray that they will find substance in you, that they will find you as light, that they will find you as a compass, that they'll find you as true north, uh, that they can set their bearings towards and they can continue moving forward. God, we are so grateful for your love for us. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for us. Help us now as we look into your word. Change us and transform us into your image. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So we find here Christ our life. Christ your life. That is the focus. That is the direction that as a follower of Jesus, we should always keep our mindset to. I think many times in our lives, we like to compartmentalize our life. For example... We may say, yes, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Christ, but Christ really doesn't have any effect on the other things in our life. We say, well, Christ is good enough when I do come to church or when I do church type things. But here, God's word tells us that Christ is our life. He is to represent all of our life, not just parts and bits and pieces of our life. Many times when we go through life, we encounter struggles, the very first thing that we like to do is we like to fix it on our own. And what do we do? We are leaving out Christ who should be part of our life. If we encounter a giant crisis and we've, we've tried everything in our life, then we're like, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to go to God and I'm going to see if he can fix us now. After we've already put our hands in it and messed it all up, then we go to God. <laughs> and we say, okay, God, I really need your help now. But that's not what our life should be like. Christ should be our life. Everything in our life, everything about our life should be about Christ. So here we find this, that God is making a challenge to us to tell us, say, Christ is our life. Now notice a few of these things here, what he says in uh, verses 1 through 4. 
He gives this thing, if then you have been raised with Christ, mark this word, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, and mark this other word, set. Seek and set. If you have been raised with Christ, what is he talking about? He's talking about if you have come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. In other words, if you have received Christ as your Savior, you now have a relationship with God. You have been raised with Him in life. Why is it so important for us to be raised with Him in life? Well, because the Bible tells us before we knew Christ, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And it says when we came into that relationship with Christ, it says that He quickened us, He made us alive with Christ. And so now we have been raised together with Christ. And he tells us, if you have been raised with Christ, you have that relationship, what is our life supposed to consist of now? Seeking and setting. We are to always be seeking out Christ, setting our minds, setting our affections on things that are above. Now let's look at a few of these things about seeking and setting. I'd like to point a few of these things out here. Number one, what are we supposed to be seeking? Well, kingdom living. Look at verses 1 through 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Seek the things that are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Now, again, as Christ followers, what do we like to do? Instead of looking above, where do we look? Right in front of us. Why? Why is that so difficult for us to get that through our heads that we are supposed to be looking above and not looking down here below? Why do you think that is? I think it's because the things here on earth are tangible. We can touch them. We can feel them. We can hold on to them. We can store them up in storage facilities. We can get everything that we can. Remember the uh, man that uh, Jesus talked to? And he had all of these possessions, right? And he says, oh man, I got so much stuff here. What am I going to do? I need to tear down my barns, build greater barns. I'll put more and more and more stuff in it, right? And what did Jesus tell him? He says, you fool. <laughs> you idiot. Come on. Get this through your head. We are supposed to be seeking the things that are above, not on things on the earth. Why? Because those things on the earth are going to fall apart. They're going to rust. Thieves are going to come in. They're going to steal stuff. Have you guys seen that commercial? Uh, this gal, she's in the house and she's got a credit card and she's looking at this new couch and she's like, man, I really love this couch. This is great. And her friend says, yeah, you needed that couch. She says, yeah, I took one look at this couch and that's exactly what I needed. And then it flips to nighttime and there's two thieves in the house and they're talking. One has a crowbar and he goes, man, I really need this couch. And the other guy says, yeah, I look at that couch. And I said, man, you need that couch, you know? So we are supposed to be seeking the things that are above. Kingdom living. What does that look like? Well, I think just thinking about through the scriptures. Now, there are many things involved with kingdom living. But I think in order for us to understand what kingdom living is, Jesus gives us a very good idea of what that is. Let's turn to the book of John, chapter 17. John, chapter 17. 
This is the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ. And we are to be seeking the things that are above, kingdom living. What are we supposed to be seeking after God? How are we supposed to be living our life? Listen to what Jesus prays in John chapter 17, verse number 3. He says, and this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So what are we supposed to be seeking after? Enjoying God, the eternal life. Jesus says that they may know you, the only eternal life. Can I ask you a question? Do you enjoy your relationship with God right now? Are you happy about the relationship that you have with God? Can I put it to you a different way? Are you growing in your relationship with God right now? As our relationships in life here on earth, we spend more time with people, we encounter people, we deal with difficult things in life, and we um, are there to help them and encourage them and vice versa. We grow in our relationships with one another. And we, thus in turn, we enjoy spending time with those people. But on the flip side of that, our relationship with God should ever be continuing in enjoyment. We should be enjoying our relationship with God. God should never be a drudge or, or a, like, man, this is just really boring. God is not boring. We are to be enjoying our relationship with Him. If we feel that God is boring or that if He is out of touch with us, the problem is not with God. The problem is with us. We have moved away from God. God has always stayed constant. So we have to get back in touch with the Lord and say, God, I want to continue enjoying your relationship with Him. Enjoying your relationship with Him and, and relishing in the, the reality that God is my Savior. He is eternal life. And so Jesus prays that. He says, that they may know you eternal life. I want you to think about that just for a moment. Eternal life. Does we even comprehend that? Eternal life. Eternal life does not start when we die. Eternal life happens when we receive Christ as our Savior. It's immediate. It's at a moment. It's right then and there. And we can start enjoying the life, eternal life, with God the moment that we receive Him as our Savior. And so kingdom living involves enjoying God, enjoying His presence in our life, allowing God to work in us and, and move in us and shape us and transform us into the very image of Jesus Christ. So Christ, who is our life, involves kingdom living. Look at the second thing that it involves with kingdom living. Look at John chapter 17, verse 24. Jesus prays this. He says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Second thing that it involves, it involves seeking Christ's glory. Notice the text again. To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me. The glory of Christ. 
I want you to dwell and think about that just for a moment. The glory of Christ. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, it was not a beautiful picture. It was ugly. It was bloody. It was, it was a picture that people turned their heads away from. There was no glory in that death. But because Jesus died on the cross, and when he was buried in that grave, he came out glorious with power, with might. He came out of that grave bodily. The Bible tells us in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, it says that 500 people at one time saw the resurrected Christ. The glory that came with him out of that, out of that grave. We are to be seeking his glory. Do you remember when Isaiah says that uh, when he saw the Lord high and lifted up, it says that his train filled the temple? And we're not talking about a choo-choo type of train, okay? When you have a wedding here, okay, and the bride is walking down the aisle, what is following her? A train. What is that train supposed to represent? Honor, purity, glory, okay? Um, when the, uh, the queen of England, when on her coronation, they said that her train was so long that people had to like, they had people carrying her train. I mean, it was just forever long. What did that represent? It was representing her glory. And the Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah, it says that he, that he beheld the glory of God and it filled the temple. Glory, glory, glory. I mean, just filling the temple of gl just glory, glory, glory. And we are supposed to be seeking Christ's glory. We're supposed to be having that as our affection. We're supposed to be seeking that out in our lives. So Christ who is our life, kingdom living, seeking out Christ's glory. Notice there's a third thing that Christ prays for here in his high priestly prayer. Look at with me in John chapter 17 again and look at verse number 26. He said, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me be in them, and I in them. Kingdom living involves living in and love, living out his love. Living in Christ's love and living that love out. So if Christ is our life, and he is supposed to be our life, what does that consist of? It consists of living kingdom living, allowing the love of Christ to be dwelling in us and living that love out before the world. That's how we are supposed to be living. But what do we do? We set our affections on things that are below. We try to hold on to and, and try to get as much as we can instead of setting our affections on things that are above. So the question for me as a Christ follower is, am I truly living out kingdom living on this earth? Do I really have my affections set on Christ? Because if I have my affections set on Christ, then the things here below really don't matter. They're just things. In the process of us um, selling our house, 
you know, it's one of those things that when we moved there to um, Urbana, Ohio, we lived in an apartment for, help me out, James, three, four years, three or four years. So in that process, we were looking for a house. We found a house that we thought, hey, boy, this would be great. Yeah, just a little paint and carpet. We can do this. No big deal, right? Wrong. <laughs> so we went there. We moved into the house, and we've made it our own. I mean, it's something that we're proud of. I mean, a lot of, a lot of sweat and a lot of tears and a lot of almost terrible accidents happening. I can tell you one time, we were ripping up some subflooring in the kitchen, three-quarter inch subflooring. It had some rot and stuff on it. And I'm not, they, they would have had to nail, I think they nailed that subflooring down probably about every two inches with nails. So we're ripping up these four by eight sheets of plywood. I got the crowbar and I'm ripping it up. And Jamie's over there, she's helping me ripping it up and she's down on her knees and I got the board and I'm like holding it and it's got these nails, okay, hanging down. So she's under the board with nails like this, okay. It's like one of those uh, like booby traps, you know, from like things. And I mean, you're just going, okay, this is crazy, you know, and I accidentally let the board go. I don't know what happened, but she got out, but a nail went ripped right down my pants. But thank the Lord we didn't get into any bad accidents. But anyways, we, are, we made that house our own. And now we're looking at it, we're like, oh man, we got to sell this place. It's just a house. That's all it is. It's paint, wood, termites, okay? It's just a house, no big deal, right? So when our affections are in the right place, the things on earth really don't have much weight. What's that uh, song that says, uh, when we continue looking towards Jesus Christ, the things of earth will grow strangely dim, right? So where are our affections at? Are we truly living out kingdom living? Is Christ our life? Is Christ your life? Is that what you are motivated by? So kingdom living. Let's look at a second thing here about this, that Christ is our life. Notice what it says here. Secondly, in verses 1 through 3, if, you, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This is our motivation. Our motivation. Well, what is our motivation? Notice the text here. It says Christ is in heaven. Now, why does God have to tell us that Christ is in heaven? I mean, wouldn't it have been easier just to say, seek those things which are above? Why does he have to put in there that Christ is in heaven? Because that should be our motivation for living for things that are above. Heaven is not just some type of figment of our imagination. Heaven is a real place. A real place. It's just as real as Middlebury, Indiana, or Goshen, Indiana. It's real. It's as real as this chair is in this room. The Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians, it says that he is, we are already seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. It's real. When we have funerals and people that know the Lord, they pass away. 
Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It's a real place. And so when God tells us that Christ is in heaven, that gives us motivation. Why? Because we are to be looking up to our hope. Not just be looking out here. Is there much hope in life? No, there's not. Why do you think so many people struggle with so many things in their life? And they get involved with gambling and drinking and drugs and all kinds of stuff. Because there's no hope. And they figure, well, I'll maybe find some kind of hope at the end of a bottle or in a pill or something like that. There's no hope. But Christ offers us hope. And we are to be seeking Him. He should be our motivation because He is in heaven. So Christ is in heaven and that gives us motivation to live our life for Christ and not for things here on the earth. Because guess what? If you go to Jerusalem today and you go to the tomb where Jesus was buried, He's not there. You can go to the grave of Muhammad. You could go to the grave of Joseph Smith. You can go to all these religious leaders. And guess what? They're still there. But Jesus has resurrected. He is in heaven. And that is our hope. That is our motivation to live our life for Christ and not for things here on the earth. Notice also, it says where Christ is. But notice this other thing. It says that He is seated. Christ is seated. Why is that so important? For us to be living our life for things above and not for things on the earth. Why is that important that Christ is seated? In the Old Testament times where they used to have animal sacrifices to atone for the sins, the priest was always standing. Why? Because he was always working. He was, the, the, the sacrifices were never complete. It was never finished. He was always in there administering and administering. But the Bible tells us that when Christ died on the cross, he cried out with a loud voice and he said, It is finished. It's done. It's over. He says, The, the, the sacrifice has been made. I have made the payment for sins once and for all. It's done. The Bible tells us that the veil of the temple, that the large curtain that separated God and man was rent from top to bottom. It's just like someone just took, a, took their hands and just tore it right in between the two. So allow could allow people to come into the very presence of God. You know, you don't need a priest. You don't need a, a pastor. You don't need uh, some type of religious leader to get you into the presence of God. You can go boldly into the throne of grace now. So the Bible says here that Christ is seated. And when I think about that, Christ who is our life, everything in life has been accomplished for me. Guess what? I live my life here. And when I do have troubles and difficulties, I can go to my high priest who is seated who has encountered the troubles and the difficulties of life. And he can sympathize with me because he hungered, he wept, he sorrowed, he died. <laughs> he went through everything that we as human beings encounter in life. And so 
I'm to be looking towards him, not on things on the earth. Christ is seated there. So he's in heaven and he is seated. That gives us motivation to live for Christ and not live for here, things on the earth. Let's look here thirdly about this, about Christ, our life. Notice what it says here. Lastly, in verse number four, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Some things about this. First of all, Christ is the essence of the believer's life. When Christ, who is our life, your life, when he appears, we will appear with him in glory. So what does your life consist of? Does everything about your life revolve around Christ? Or do you live your life in a way that you do everything here and Christ is somewhere out here? Christ should be the whole makeup of our life. When we encounter difficulties in life, it shouldn't be, well, I'm going to try to just figure this out on my own. When we're having a, a hard time in life, Christ should be the main focus and the thrust of our life. So Christ is the essence of the believer's life. Listen to a few of these scriptures, what God's word says about this. In 1 John chapter 5, 12, it says, Whoever has the Son has life. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Philippians 1.21 says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Christ should be the essence of our lives. Not our plans, not our thoughts, not our ideas, but his thoughts, his plans, his ideas. Getting our focus on Christ. So Christ is the essence of the believer's life, but also it says here, we will appear with him in glory. Now this is an awesome thing to think about. If Christ is our life, we, we, we've been saved, we've, we, we've come into a relationship with the Lord now. And Christ is supposed to be our life. When people see us, they should not see you. They shouldn't see everything about you. They should see Christ. Because there's going to be a day that's going to happen that when Christ returns, we are going to be with him in glory. The reality of Christ, our life, is going to be made tangible. It's going to be something that we will actually see with our eyes and, and hold. Remember, remember doubting Thomas, right? Jesus was there in the, in the upper room. And they said, well, I'm not, I'm not going to believe that, that Jesus resurrected from the dead unless I can actually put my finger in his, in his hands, in, in the hole in his hands, and, and put my hand up in his side where that Roman spear was jabbed up inside of uh, a Jesus' side. He says, I won't believe it. What did Jesus tell Thomas? He said, Thomas, he says, you believe because you see, but blessed are those who believe who do not see. 
And that's going to be a glorious thing when we will actually be able to behold our Savior, our King of Kings in life, in flesh, something that we could actually behold with our eyes. Sure, we see Him in Scripture. We behold Him with the eyes of faith. But to be actually to behold Him, that's a glorious thing. I think of all those that have passed on before us that knew Christ I mean, can you imagine the, the, the reality of it when they pass from death to life and they are beholding Jesus? That must be a glorious thing. I envy them. I really do. So what is your life? What does it consist of? 